if you could talk with anyone in the whole world about a problem you face, who would you choose? The pastor of an underground church in Cuba has an interesting answer to that question. A worker at the United Nations wanted to help relieve some of the persecution this pastor was facing, and this UN worker claimed to be very well connected. A friend named Brother Jose tells the story. This person from the UN told this pastor, in 24 hours, I can talk to Raul Castro, and I can talk to Pope Francis too, and I can talk to Obama as well. How can I help you knowing that I can talk to them? You know, this pastor's answer reminds all of us that God is more powerful than any human leader. He reminds us of the power of prayer. And the pastor said, we don't need Obama's or Pope Francis or Raul Castro's help. What we need is for you to pray so that God will help us to remain faithful. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and uh, we're going to be talking today with a man. We're just going to call him Brother Jose. He is a Christian leader from Cuba, and uh, we're not going to go into a lot of detail about his background or exactly what he's doing, uh, but we are going to talk about the church in Cuba and what is going on there. Brother Jose, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It's a great privilege to be here in this place. Brother Jose, the the big news for Americans when it comes to Cuba is the fact that uh, our country now again has diplomatic relations. President Obama was just in Cuba a few months ago. We all saw it on the television. He went to a baseball game. Great celebration. How are things different for the church, or are they different for the church now that, that U.S. and Cuba have relations again? We think that that was a historical visit from President Obama. And we consider that it was a shame that he didn't take advantage of this visit to request from President Castro more freedom for the church and also more freedom in every other area in the country. So you feel like this was really a missed opportunity because none of that even came up in in the discussions. Yes, because during the visit, a lot of people were being taken into prison on the streets, especially the opposition because they are pacific women walking on the streets asking for freedom for the political prisoners. And the only crime they committed was to walk on the streets. And also the fact that if you think different from the government, that's a crime in itself. We have the case of a pastor that is not hidden news. His name is Mario, and he's a Baptist pastor that is recognized. And his denomination backs him up. And and he was taken into custody in front of all the town while President Obama and Raul Castro were watching a baseball game even in front of his wife and his daughter. He was put down in the floor like a criminal. He was physically hit, and he was in prison for three days. And what was his crime? What was he doing wrong that he has to be put in prison? Because he has no freedom of speech. So it's interesting to me, he was in prison for three days, this pastor, uh, and President Obama was in Cuba for three days, uh, it seems more than coincidence that, that those two things would be exactly the same length. The same thing happened to the, this pastor when the Pope visited. Ah, so he's a repeat offender. 
when the Pope was here in the United States, in Philadelphia and other countries, people that are trying to support immigration here in the States, they were giving him documents or letters, so he received those letters. But when the people from the opposition approached the Pope, they were put into prison. It's interesting to me the the level of control that is a hallmark of a communist system. I think of the Olympics in Beijing in 2008. Many Christians were arrested. Many people were arrested before the Olympics. And then after the Olympics, they were let go. It was just a matter of while we have this international attention, we don't want any trouble. So we're just going to lock everybody up. The world has to understand that Cuba is still a communist country. And what does that mean for the church? Because I think for our listeners, what they want to know is, okay, what's going on with the church? And as you say, they're still a communist country. That means some very specific things for Christians. And I have to say, and it's a reality, that the church has become stronger under this communist ruling. The government has done all they can to stop the church from growing. But after the USSR failed in 1988, for Cuba came a season which was called the special season because Cuba used to receive about 60 to 70 percent of their income from communist countries. But when this happened, they had nobody else to support them. So a, a huge poverty fell upon all the population. But the Lord used that situation so that the church could take control over the spiritual area in the country. I want to, before you go on, I want to ask, because you said the government has done everything they can to keep the church from growing and keep the church from being strong. What are some of the specific things that the government has done against the church? The, The government has closed house churches and they have threatened continuously pastors. They have strongly tried to encourage Christians to stop preaching the gospel in several places. For several years in Cuba, you could even go and visit your family members even because they were part of the government. So if somebody will leave the country to the United States, if you wanted to become and remain part of the Communist Party, you couldn't write your family member that left the country. You couldn't even have contact with them. No, you have to completely separate from them. Those were very hard moments for the church. Many Christians were not allowed to go to university because they were Christians. I knew people with the highest grades in school so that they could go into medicine. And the government said, sorry, I cannot provide schooling for you because ideologically, you have not defined yourself. You don't meet the requirements. Exactly. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Jose. He is a Christian leader from Cuba. We're talking about how Christians in Cuba under the communist government, and again, we want to remind our listeners, you know, we've talked about the opening of the doors and the renewal of relations, but this is still very much a communist government that wants to control the people, wants to control how they think and how they worship. So we're talking about what that means for Christians. Brother Jose, why is the government of Cuba so afraid of the church? I think now more than ever before, they're afraid of the church because it's so powerful when you go into towns late night and every few meters, you can hear Christians singing, Christians reading their Bibles. The government cannot stop the church anymore because they have tried everything. The latest that happened in Santiago de Cuba this year is that they sent some prisoners to destroy a house church. And the government of Cuba knows this if they're listening. When they went to destroy the house church, the pastor got inside the house church. And the pastor said, if you want to destroy my house church, you're going to have to destroy it with us inside. And in Cuban culture, that's, that's not a good thing to, to, to do for the government. Not because of the church, but to kill people in that way. So they tried to do that in several different 
towns, they had planned to confiscate several properties at the same time. But the head of the AG church in Santiago de Cuba took over 500 brothers and sisters and went to the Communist Party to the main offices. And they started singing Amazing Grace. So 500 people outside this government office singing Amazing Grace. The whole church leaders and, and people together from the, the church members started worshiping God and just lifting up their hands. And, and they were telling the government, we do not accept that you're demolishing our churches. So the government called the church leaders in Havana and they said, what are we going to do about this? This has never happened before. So they called the pastor in Santiago de Cuba and, and they said, hey, let's come and let's talk. And he said, you have nothing to talk to me about. You have to talk to the church members that is here in front of you. But it worked because the whole church in Cuba was willing to go to Santiago de Cuba and protest. In a communist country, they're not protest if they're not sponsored by the government. The only one that controls the masses is the government. But the church is a huge mass. They're committed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have shown that. It seems like so much of the communist authority is based on fear. The people are afraid of them. And here the church goes and shows up in public and sings. They're clearly not afraid. The reality is that the Cuban economy needs the Western support. So they have to show that they're tolerant with religion and the church can become a problem. And God is taking advantage of that so that many people can get to know him. And the Holy Spirit is touching a lot of people like Nicodemus that in the secret are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I heard the testimony of three women. They had huge problems. And these two ladies became Christians with all their heart. God made such a great miracle in them that now their husbands have become Christians and they have big roles in the government. So it seems like at this point, the government is almost more afraid of the church then the church is afraid of the government. The attitude of the Christians now is very aggressive. They're sharing the gospel everywhere. And for the first time, the government has allowed Christians to go into prisons and share the gospel. Wow. Jail ministry has been happening for a while now, and it has been a huge influence for the inmates. You've talked a little bit about house churches. Are there building churches as well as house churches, or is pretty much all of the believers are worshiping in house churches? They're formal churches, but most of them are prior 1960. But nowadays, the largest population is in house churches. But a house churches is not what we think about. It's a house that in their back patio, they have about 500 people. Wow. No walls, because the government doesn't allow them to put walls. But the government knows there's a church that you can't hide that. In Cuban society, the church is a problem in some of the neighborhoods. Can you imagine next door... A church clapping, singing with instruments, preaching. With 500 people in the backyard. That would be hard to hide. When that happens, when there's a house church that comes under persecution, is it coming from like the local village level or is it coming at, from the national level? Who are the persecutors? It starts at the local level but continues all the way to the national level. Oh, wow. Right now there are over 3,000 house churches with threats of being demolished. But we know it's not going to happen. So if I'm having a house church at my house, let's, we're meeting in the backyard. There's 50 people that come every Sunday and we start worshiping together. What's going to happen to me? They can threaten you. They're going to say you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your house. But this has been happening for so long that they don't listen to those threats anymore because Christians are still planting more house churches. So the, the Christian who's in that position, the, the police come and say, hey, you're going to lose your job or we're going to tear down your house. When that happens, they call the leader saying, they just came to thread about closing my house church. 
And the leader said, remember, we're not here to close, but to open. So we're not going to close the house church. <laughs> they are completely unintimidated. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Jose. He is a Christian leader from Cuba. H Jose, what are some of the things that Voice of the Martyrs is doing to help the church in Cuba? One of the most important things that VM has done, and it's very important, is they have been praying, but they have also been very faithful supporting Bible programs in Cuba, which is the Word of God. In different ways, even from different countries, VM has been helping to get that literature out into the country. And what are the obstacles to that? What kind of challenges are there? And maybe some of this you can't say for security reasons, but what are the challenges to getting Bibles into Cuba? At first, some of the Bibles will be sent in suitcases or with people in their backpacks, and sometimes it will get confiscated at the airport. But because the church is such a big body in the world, Bibles were sent by the thousands with the help of other ministries. The name of VOM was never mentioned, so those are the kind of things that doesn't matter who takes the credit because that credit is going to be given in heaven. But up to two years ago, all the Bibles will go directly through the Ecumenical Council in Cuba. And they will choose how to distribute the Bibles according to their own opinion. But last year, the government has finally released control over the Bibles. And in the last year, whoever buys the Bible can take control over the Bibles and they can choose who to give it to and how to distribute those Bibles. And that has been very important. Now, some other things that VOM has been helping us with. For many years, they help workers, the most humble and needed workers, also with transportation for them. In many ways, VM has been of huge help for the island in Cuba and very consistent help. And VM has been very helpful to tell all the people around the world what is happening in Cuba, the importance of their prayers, and the importance of the ministry inside Cuba. And also, VM has had a very key role in telling the Cuban government what is happening inside their country. So in a village in the middle of nowhere, something happened. We found out, and VOM told the rest of the world what's happening, so the Cuban government knows that we know, and people can is praying for that. And that makes a huge difference. When they know the word is going to get out, that puts pressure on them to treat the church better. And something that was damaging the church is that when people were coming to the States, and they were asked, oh, how's the church in Cuba? Because of fear, they will be like, oh, everything is fine, everything is okay. I've seen pastors start sweating and getting all nervous when you ask them about the church. And all of this because they're afraid. And it's very sad that some U.S. citizens, where they go and visit Cuba and they're in those amazing church services, because it is a reality that there are great church services, but that's all they can see. This on the top of the cake. Because it's very hard for a pastor to tell anybody what's happening inside the country. And they're not just going to go open up and tell people what's going on because a lot of things are going on inside the country. People still need permission from the government to do events. Not everybody can go to Cuba and preach. They have to have a religious visa. And the entry and exit control is still remaining. Also, if a pastor wants to go and speak in radio, they can't even think about it. It's impossible. Cuba only has one way to communicate with people, and it's under the control of the government. They have about five or six TV channels. But they all belong to the government. So a pastor who wanted to say, hey, there are Christians in Cuba being persecuted, would find that he got arrested or he was not allowed to leave or he was not allowed to come back to the country. They will respond to reassert control over anybody who speaks out. We actually have very great pastors that come and, and say those things. But then situations happen like what happened with Pastor Mario. Because at the end, the government would love for that pastor to leave Cuba. 
Some pastors are more calm, but they keep doing the work that God has given to them, even though they know what is going on. I want to hit the issue of that. The government would actually like these guys to leave Cuba, but they choose, they feel like God has called them. They choose to stay in the hard place rather than come to America or go someplace else. And, and if they wanted to leave, the government would celebrate. They'd be like, absolutely, you can go. But they choose to stay. They have chosen to do that because they know their calling is for Cuba, so they will never leave Cuba. We're, we're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Jose. He is a Christian leader from the country of Cuba. Uh, Jose, we, we talked about these pastors who are courageously staying there. Who are some of your heroes in the Cuban church? I admire those pastors. They have a visa to come to the States for five years, five-year visa. And they come but go back to Cuba. They offer them churches in the United States, money, a car, and they'd rather be under the fire of persecution. And they know they could go to prison if something changes. But in any way, they want to leave their country. And I have a lot of admiration for young people, especially one lady, and this is the only thing I've heard about this. She fell in love with the son of a pastor, and she was a U.S. resident, and she was living in the United States, and she gave up her U.S. residency. She became a Cuban citizen again. And she got married, and she's now living in Cuba. She left everything completely. She left everything. Recently, I talked to a young man that comes to the United States to raise funds for the church in Cuba. And I asked him, are you planning to stay here in the United States like everybody else? And he said, I can come, but I know that my call is for Cuba. And those are the people that I admire. But, you know, there's even a joke that says that if somebody will make a bridge from Cuba to the United States, even the Castros will take that bridge. <laughs> I'm reminded of of Christ's call to take up your cross and follow me, uh, not come to America and be comfortable, but take up your cross and follow me. These pastors and leaders are are living that out every day in Cuba. I've seen people in the worst conditions that I know they were were to move to the states. They could change the way they live. We're gonna call this pastor Lucas. This man has all his children living in the United States. It has nothing to do with, like, family-related. He has no ties in Cuba, and his car is from 1950-something. <laughs> and it's a terrible car to drive. He lives in a normal house, and he has been invited to come to the States for visits. His answer is, I don't know if I can come because I have a lot of work to do here in Cuba. That's the type of people I can talk about because, you know, a lot of people in Latin America want to come to the States, even though in their own countries they have a very anti-United States spirit, but they all want to come here. Let's talk about, as we finish up, uh, how we can pray. One of the things you said that's meaningful to our brothers and sisters in Cuba is the fact that uh, here at Voice of the Martyrs, we tell the world what's happening, and we tell the world, you need to pray for the church in Cuba. How can we pray? How should we pray for the brothers and sisters who are there? I'm going to give you the answer that one of the leaders that I admire the most gave to somebody from the UN. This person from the UN told this pastor... In 24 hours, I can talk to Raul Castro. And I can talk to Pope Francis too. And I can talk to Obama as well. How can I help you knowing that I can talk to them? And the pastor said, we don't need Obama's or Pope Francis or Raul Castro's help. And don't pray that God will remove persecution from us because persecution is good for us. What we need is for you to pray so that God will help us to remain faithful. Amen. So please pray for those house churches that are being threatened to be demolished, that they won't be demolished. And for everything that the the Christians are facing for the leaders so that they will remain faithful and continue doing the job. 
I want to encourage our listeners, as we've talked about, and I think what an incredible boldness to say, don't pray that the persecution will stop because persecution is good for us. That That's an uncomfortable prayer for American Christians to pray. But you've heard from Brother Jose from Cuba. That's the request of the Cuban church. I want to encourage you to pray for the nation of Cuba, pray for the church there, pray for the leaders there to come to know Christ in a personal way. Brother Jose, thank you very much for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. God bless all of you that are listening to this. And remember that the truth is the one that sets us free. Here on The Voice of the Martyrs, you often hear the other side of the news, what you don't see on the evening headlines. You hear about things happening to believers in Jesus behind the scenes that you can't hear anywhere else. That's true with today's stories from Cuba, And last week was also enlightening as some friends that we just called John and Mary told us about ministering to Muslims in Europe. I want to end today with one more story from John and Mary that we didn't have time to share last week. You know that converts to Christ face persecution in the Middle East, but do they also face that same pressure in Europe? Here's what John and Mary had to say. Yeah, that is actually something that we've experienced with people who have a desire to come to faith in our context. In fact, one particular gentleman who we've been connected with, Ahmet, we'll call him, he was extremely close to becoming a believer. He'd been coming to the the local Heart Language Fellowship. He'd been a regular attender. He was studying the Bible. He was growing. He was being discipled. He was really engaged in our weekly fellowships on the weekend. He was asking great questions. He was reading it really appeared as though God was working in his life and that he was really making positive strides. Unfortunately, a couple months ago, he more or less fell off the map. We found out from another local believer who was still moderately connected to him that he was facing extreme pressure from his family and from his social network. In fact, they'd called him some very horrible names. Um, I can't believe that you would become a Christian. This is unbelievable that you would be hanging out with these people. Have you become a heretic? You know, you're going to pay the price for this if you don't come back to the way of Islam. And so even those who are living in Europe, in countries where they have freedom of religion, where they have exposure to other Christians and other people groups who are living in different ways, they're still facing extreme pressure from their friends and their family. And so unfortunately, um, that doesn't just end when they've left um, the country in which they come from. Well, and I think we talk about the culture of togetherness and community that they are a part of and that they've grown up in. And so that's a huge price to pay. You know, being cut off from your family, being cut off from that community, we might think in America, yeah, that's hard, but, you know, you just go on. You, you kind of pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and go on. In that culture, that's a huge, huge, huge price. Right, and I think, you know, here in America, because we do tend to be so much more individualistic, we have the freedom to make our own decisions, we really do kind of set our own destiny, as they say, we really do kind of chart our own path going forward, then it's much easier for us to make decisions as it relates to life and faith and occupation and job and this and that. But those who come from Muslim backgrounds, and particularly those who come from cultures that are so community-driven, everything about their life is dictated by the community and the family. And at the top of that, of course, is the issue of religion. And so when they're, you know, making decisions to follow a, a, a different way or to change religion or to follow Jesus in this case, it can have really devastating consequences on their connectivity to their family and their social network. If I can just share one other quick story, this is about a female believer in the fellowship uh, where we serve. 
she came to faith in the Lord in Europe, so outside of her of, of the country in which she was raised, and her mother found out that she had become a follower of Jesus. Her mother contacted her and said, have you become a Christian? She said, yes, I have. Her mother said, well, you either have to choose me or you have to choose your faith in Jesus. Wow. And this woman said, Mom, I love you and I respect you, but I will never give up Jesus. And since then, she has had no contact with her mother. That's a high price to pay. Hmm. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John and Mary. Uh, They are working in Europe among a predominantly Muslim people group there. You guys are fairly young in your life and in your work, your overseas work. Uh, what would you say to our listeners who who maybe feel a call like, okay, I, I'm wondering, the Lord might be working on me to go overseas and, and, and to do mission work. What would you say to them and how would you advise them to kind of take steps down that road? Well, first of all, I will say if you feel like the Lord is calling you to missions, Congratulations. That is awesome to hear. It's awesome to know that the Lord is working in your life and leading you in that direction. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, and we need more people in the harvest fields all over the world, but especially among the most unreached people groups in the world. If you feel like the Lord is calling you to missions, and if you have an interest in missions, I would encourage you to do something with that right now. And by doing something, I mean start having conversations with people within your network. Have conversations with your pastor, with your your church small group, with your close family and your friends. And talk to them about this burden and this interest that the Lord has placed upon your heart. It is very, very likely that somebody in your social network and in your circles will confirm that and will say, yes, I can see that the Lord has called you to missions. I can see that you have a potential. I would also encourage you to start talking to a missions agency. If you are part of of a denomination, get in touch with your denomination's missions agency and start having conversations with those people. Or if you're not part of a denomination, get in touch with a non-denominational or interdenominational missions agency and start those conversations. In all missions agencies, there are people that are equipped and that are trained to help you discern where the Lord is calling you. Through all of it, I would encourage you to be open to what the Lord has for you. You may feel right now that God is calling you to missions, but through these conversations with people or through maybe a discussion or an application or interview process with a missions agency, you may realize that you're not the one called to go, but you're the one called to stay, to pray for missionaries, and to send them by giving them financial support. That is a success too, and you are just as involved in missions if you stay and send than if you actually go to the field. Be open to what the Lord has for you. Also, if you feel like the Lord is calling you to a specific area, for example, maybe you feel like God is calling you to serve in Latin America, but you start conversations with missions agencies and they say, well, we don't have anything for you in Latin America, but we do have something for you in the Muslim world or Eastern Europe or wherever it happens to be. Be open to the fact that the Lord may use those other people to otherwise direct you to where exactly he wants you. So again, be open to that. But bottom line is, if you feel like you like the Lord is calling you to missions, start those conversations now and do something. That passion that you ha- that you have and that interest that you have in missions will continue to grow if it is an actual call from the Lord. It won't be just like a favorite food of the week that you like this week and that you don't like next week.
That's John and Mary who work with Muslims in Europe. To hear a longer interview with them, look up the archive of last week's program at vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net. You can hear all of our past episodes there, understand how to pray more effectively, and be encouraged to share the gospel more boldly when you hear the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. I'm Todd Nettleton, and I want you to know you're invited to join us again next week as we hear more stories right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.